We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Tuesday, September the 7th, 2021. Today's show, former Gamecocks football player Alex McGrath joins me as he does each and every single Tuesday to help break down South Carolina's 46 to nothing win over the Eastern Illinois Panthers on Saturday, as well as look ahead to this weekend's matchup as the Gamecocks travel to East Carolina in a pivotal early season game to take on the Pirates, guys. All that much more. We got a packed show here on a Tuesday, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it. Every single Tuesday, former Gamecocks football player Alex McGrath. Alex is going to help us break down the Gamecocks' 46 to nothing win over EIU over the weekend as the Shane Beamer era begins in style. First things first, Alex, appreciate you taking the time, my friend. How's everything going? How was your weekend as we talk here on this Labor Day? You and I both were joking off air. 
We both forgot it's holidays, but when you're locked in the football season grind, I guess it's possible to do that. But anyways, man, appreciate you taking the time. How was the weekend overall for you? Oh, it's been a good weekend, man. It's it's so nice to have football back in our lives with full stadiums. And, you know, as, as far as, you know, weekends are concerned, you know, anytime you get a long weekend and you've got, you know, a two-year-old and a three-year-old, really, <laughs> really kind of messes up a lot of the plans you would normally try to do in those instances. But, you know, other than that, it was awesome just – Gonna sit on the couch for a little while and watch full stadiums. Yeah, what a weekend of college football it was, Alex. And of course, what a season opener it was for Shane Beamer and company. Of course, we're gonna lock in and talk about that. You know, I would say you look at the final score, you look at the result, 46 and I think I think you and I would both agree. Uh, the game went sort of as we expected. I want to start with this, though, before we dive offensively, defensively, special team, all the things you saw from Saturday night. I feel like something that's not being talked about quite as much as it should be, and I want to give credit where credit is due, is Shane Beamer and his coaching staff having this football team ready to play and ready to execute and ready to play their best game. Because, of course, I talked last week, all the emotions flying, the emotions swirling. His debut is not only South Carolina's head coach, but his debut as a head coach in general. Obviously, the fan base, the passion, the momentum, all the energy they brought, which it was phenomenal in Columbia Saturday and, of course, Saturday night in Willie B. But just talk about overall as a whole, the team's performance and what you thought from Shane Beamer. Like I said, one of my big things going in the game was controlling the emotions and executing because you knew, you know, this was a mismatch. You knew you were playing a putrid FCS team. And I really thought, Shane Beamer, for the most part, really as a whole, I thought he, Marcus Satterfield, Clayton White, I thought the game plan was very good. And I thought as a whole, they really had the football team ready to play on Saturday night, and that showed in the, in the final result. Oh, for sure. It's, it, I mean, especially on defense, you know, anytime you're dealing with a, you know, I hesitate to call it a lesser opponent, but, you know, a lesser right. opponent, so to speak, mm. you know, you want to see like a, a, a bruising kind of dominating defensive performance. And, you know, really, that's what we got out of the defense. You know, we can dive into the offensive side of the ball now if, you, if you'd like to. But there were there were some, there were some things that were a little bit of red, red flaggy on that end. And then, of course, you know, the Beamer ball got off to, I, th- I think, a better start than I could have ever actually imagined. Yeah. With two block punts, fake field goal, all that fun stuff. Well, or we'll, not fake field goal, fake extra point. <laughs> yeah, the, the two-point conversion. We'll, we'll, we'll start defensively because I know everyone's expecting us, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking quarterback, receiver, everything going on with the offense and certainly looking ahead to how that's going to shake out. But defensively, like you mentioned, I mean, you can't do much better, if better at all, than pitching a shutout in your first game. And the Gamecocks defense was dominant. Just talk about what you saw from them. Again, I think the big thing that stands out – the defensive line. Again, I'm not sure you really learned anything new or you're able to draw conclusions, but that defensive line's got some real talent up front. When you look at look at guys like J.J. Anigbare, Jordan Strawn, uh, or Justin Strawn, yeah, Jordan Strawn, Jordan Birch as well, Zach Pickens, those guys really showing out. And then again, I think you saw some promise in the secondary, but after game one, I still think it's way too early to tell just how good the secondary will be or how much of a work in progress they might be. But overall, takeaways defensively, what were the top things that stood out for you from that game? I mean, number one that they pitched a shutout is huge from a, like a confidence psyche standpoint to know that you can go out there and do those things. I mean, it was huge to watch Jordan Birch get that pick six, which, you know, watching that, you know, I know we're loaded at tight end, but I mean, one more couldn't hurt. Um, that was that was that. I was just yeah, dude, like, he, he was he was like, scooting. He was moving. Yeah, like, 
that was that was impressive to say the least. And you know, too, you know, that we had another pick six called back. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you kind of take those things into account. You saw exactly what you wanted to see from you know, what we hope will transform into a uh, overall talented defense, not just, you know, on the front, you know, you saw the things that you wanted to see. You saw like confidence in the secondary, you saw confidence at the second level with linebackers and the defensive line did exactly what they thought we were going to do. Now, offensively, Alex, again, that's where everybody wants to start. And Zeb Noland, I-, I thought he did a fantastic job uh, commanding this offense, you know, doing exactly what Shane Beamer and Marcus Satterfield asked him to do. And again, I think you saw why he was anointed the starter for game one. Looked like the veteran presence, the the calming voice, if you will. And what I loved, Alex, by the way, on a side note, that this football game was, there was never a stressful moment in this game for me, at least. There, there was never a moment where this game ever felt in doubt. And of course, Sal kind of takes the ball initially on the opening kickoff. And I think a large reason for that is Zeb Nolan. I mean, the guy was in command, yeah. in control all night. Did he do anything crazy, anything flashy? Maybe not, but he didn't put the football in harm's way. He commanded the offense. He operated the offense exactly how as Satterfield and Beamer wanted him to do so. Just talk about initially your biggest takeaways from Zeb Nolan and just how you think he performed on Saturday night. I mean, if you take everything into context, you know, this kid's playing spring ball at North Dakota State leaves North Dakota State, gets a GA job, studying film for coaches, doing cut-ups all summer. And then the first week of camp, they're like, hey, do you want to play? So not going through any, like, conditioning whatsoever for, you know, I'm going to go on a limb and guess four months to step in and throw four touchdown passes. Essentially, I mean, not like completely off the street, but more or less just off the street. It's got like shades of like late career Jets, Vinny Testaverde to it. And, you know, that's, I mean, it was impressive. It was really impressive. They asked him to go in there and do a job, take care of the football, make plays where you can. And he did that stuff. And, you know, that's what you'd expect to see from somebody that's got that kind of game experience. So, I mean, the, you know, the next question morphs into is, you know, how healthy is Luke Godey? And where does that kind of leave us for this Saturday? And I want to get to that more, Alex, in just a second. Before we do, continuing to talk offense, though, again, like you said, there were a lot of positives that came from Saturday night's game. Of course, when you win 46 to nothing, it's not, it's not hard to have a, a long list of positives. But I do agree with something you said earlier, that I, I think, you know, again, did we learn anything new? No. And I would say this, Alex, most of the things that I thought about this football team, or the things that we predicted and projected – I was more so reaffirmed of those things. And, for example, the wide receiver position being a question mark and being a deficiency at least early on, I think that was reconfirmed, unfortunately. I think Josh Van, the the big plus is, I think maybe he showed you some flashes early in game of being that guy, the four-star prospect or former four-star prospect. He showed flashes of possibly being that guy and maybe he'll be the go-to option for you. But I think Alex, again, It's no secret as a whole that, putting it nicely, the Gamecocks wide receiver position is going to be a work in progress. I didn't see anyone on Saturday. And again, the scary thing for me, Alex, is if you can't go out there and do it against Eastern Illinois, then who are you going to go do it against? You know what I mean? Because fans look at it and say, well, look at this guy, the 40-year runs, and he's this tall, and he can jump this high. But what matters is what you do under the lights. And if you're out there dropping passes and you're running the wrong routes and you're not making plays against EIU, 
How can a coaching staff trust you to say, okay, well, we believe you'll go do it against Georgia or Kentucky or Mizzou or Auburn or any of those teams? So your overall thoughts, I guess, just on the offense. And again, I think you'd probably agree with me. The receivers are definitely the question mark. And this is going to be an offense that's just going to have to lean on the run game this season. I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I'm going to reserve judgment on a lot of that because, I mean, I think – correct me if I'm wrong. I think the only deep ball we threw the whole game was on that first possession, yeah, correct? And, yep, yep. Most okay. most everything then, I would say is around – I mean, the, the longest you saw was like 20 yards. I mean, it really wasn't a stretch the field type of play, I feel like. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean that's my that, that, like so not getting any examples of that is why I'm gonna like hold back because I thought Josh Van actually looked pretty good mm-hmm. for you know as limited as a, from a passing set as they were going with. I mean he, he caught everything that came his way. He made some moves getting upfield. So I mean I think he looked pretty good. You know you know Nick Muse continued to look good, or I thought you know he played pretty well. Uh, Jaheim Bell. Uh, Fortunately, he got that touchdown called back, but mm-hmm. that guy's obviously somebody we need to get the ball in their hands more. Um, you know, I, Dak had a couple of, you know, of course, direct snaps that, you know, didn't really go anywhere. And we'll, we will cross the running game bridge here in a minute. Um, but, you know, it just seemed, it seemed very, very limited on what they were willing to put out there. And, you know, of course, you know, how much of that has to do with, again, you basically got, you know, the 2021 version of Vinny Testaverde back there taking snaps for you, who was a graduate assistant before we started this venture. You know, so I'm just going to – let's see Luke in there for one game, and then we can go, okay, we're in a whole world of hurt here. Mm -hmm. But until, like, you get that full look with the full complement of everything on offense, I'm going to – I don't disagree with you. I don't think it's going to be a strength of the offense going forward, but I think it could be better than what we saw on Saturday, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. You mentioned the run game, Alex. I want to jump to that because, again, it was very interesting on Saturday from the perspective. You look at the statistics, 254 yards rushing. I mean, anytime you rush for that kind of number, you say to yourself, you had a really successful night. I know that the performance of the run game and specifically the offensive line left fans – clamoring for more it didn't feel like that dominant performance that I feel like I was expecting in the sense of I really thought South Carolina was going to go out there and impose their will am I being too harsh and critical of the O-line do they play better than I'm giving credit for or or just what overall you saw in that facet of the game I I don't think you are being overly critical because you know to me watching it you know especially in the first half it looks a little bit like they were getting pushed around mm. by that Eastern Illinois defensive line. And like couple that with the fact, you, you know, the, the zone read plays that, well, I say there's zone read, I don't know that for sure, but like the zone read lookalike plays that we were running, you know, the middle seemed to be clogged and everybody kept trying to bounce it outside where there was seemingly no help there in the first half. And, you know, I, I actually texted a buddy during the game, just saying like it, it, it doesn't, it just seems not right here. It seems like, you know, we're kind of confused on where this ball needs to go because again, you know, it's like you run to the middle with it, you know, that's clogged and then you bounce outside and there's no help out there. So I don't know if those are plays that are, you know, not designed to go to the outside or if it was just that, that poor of a blocking effort on the, from the front five. Mm. Um, but, you know, no, I, I share that. I share that concern with game cognition, just looking at it and saying, you know, this 
FCS team kind of came in here and pushed around a lot of guys that have a truckload of SEC starts under their belt. So certainly that was a little bit of a red flag in what was other nights of otherwise, you know, pretty spectacular night. You know, I was going to say the positives in the run game, Alex, obviously is a Quandre White. I mean, what he did, Marshawn Lloyd gets his first snaps. Juju McDowell was out there. Your overall thoughts on those backs, man, because it sounds like certainly Kevin Harris is going to be 100% for this weekend, and we'll talk about that more in just a second. But, uh, I mean, it truly is just an embarrassment of riches, you know, at the running back position for South Carolina. It really is. No, the, the running backs are definitely, you know, position A on, from a strength standpoint on the entire team, and they played like that. Saturday night. So that was awesome to see just like, especially thinking, you know, because that's a position that, you know, gets hammered week in and week out. And to know you've got one, two, three guys standing back there that can perform at a, you know, all about the same high level. I mean, that's huge. Now, Alex, before we move off of the season opening win against EIU and Gamecocks getting the 46 to nothing win, Anything that stood out to you that maybe I didn't touch on? You mentioned special teams, of course, and Beamer Ball and getting the two block punts and the two-point conversion. Huge. And, I, I you know, you, you can't bank on that's going to happen every single game, but I think you and I talked last week. We both agree. I mean, what it looked like to me is South Carolina is going to have one of, if not the best, most well-coached special teams unit in all of college football with Shane Beamer and Pete Limbo leading the way. But, Again, you win 46 to nothing. There's a lot of positives. I've cautioned fans. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you would as well. There's going to be new tests because EIU is the worst team you play all season. You really can't draw hard conclusions from that game. But I think you accomplished all of the goals, Alex, that you set out for week one. You got the Shane Beamer era started on a positive note. You won, obviously. And your team has something to feel good about. A lot of guys played. A lot of guys played and played really well. And again, you're going to need that confidence as you go on the road in week two. But anything else that maybe we didn't touch on that you would say, you know, were some big takeaways or just things that stood out to you from that season opening win? I mean, special teams comes directly to mind. I mean, to hit the two point on the swinging gate, you block two punts. I mean, that's and more importantly than that, perhaps we pitched a shutout for the first time since 2000. What? Eight. Yeah, I believe you were you were there or just left, maybe. So <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. That was that was the opening NC State game. Yes. Um, yes. Where the Lindsay twins annihilated Russell Wilson. <laughs> um, but no, they, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing is like it it look, you, you were never in any danger of blowing this game, but what it really serves a purpose to do is get, you know, a lot of those inexperienced guys live game action and to build that confidence. So next week. When you go to on the road to ECU and you face a much stiffer test, you know, you you got game experience behind you that says, hey, I can do this because I did it back here. And to pitch a shutout, to have that kind of success on special teams, you know, to get, you know, somebody like Jordan Birch, like that kind of confidence boost on a pick six um, to know like those running backs that are going to sit behind Kevin Harris or at least rotate in with him they know they can play that way against other competition. And so like the confidence that's going to come with that, I think is my biggest takeaway is that you did everything that you were supposed to do against an inferior opponent. And now you move on to the next one. And hopefully that confidence continues to build and build and build until you get to the, you know, the meat of the SEC schedule. We also <laughs> covered for those yeah. of you that are interested in that. <laughs> those, those that are, yes, the 42 and a half, 
the Gamecocks did cover that massive six touchdowns. But Alex, look, before we start talking ECU in this week, this is sort of a random off the wall question, but I want to ask you this. How beneficial do you think it is for this football team that week two is against East Carolina and not Georgia? Uh, massive. Right. I, I think it, I think it's very helpful that there's a gradual rise in level of competition you're playing against versus, you know, EIU and Georgia could not be more of polar opposites. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, no. I mean, and, and you know, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this too, but I mean, they, to hold Clemson to two rushing yards. <laughs> We've had is, a good time with that. We've had a very good time with, with those statistics and numbers and everything. Trust me. It's, it's, I mean, but all that being said, you know, hated rival, what have you, that's a, that's a pretty impressive defensive statistic <laughs> to throw up against what has otherwise been a spectacular offense for a decade. Hmm. For sure. Well, again, we're looking at this ECU game, and the question right now that is on top of Gamecock fans' minds, and Shane Beamer has sort of addressed it already, is the quarterback position. Who's going to be QB1 on Saturday? Shane Beamer saying Sunday night in his teleconference that they will not make an announcement until the morning of or the day of the game, if you will, which I think is a smart move. I mean, as fans, we selfishly all want to know and be in the know, but why, if you're Shane Beamer, would you reveal anything that you don't have to? But it sounds like Shane Beamer did confirm Luke Doty. He's back to 100%. Kevin Harris is back to 100%. You should be a full good-to-go knock on wood for Saturday's game at East Carolina. The quarterback position, Zeb Noland, Luke Doty. I'll ask you this. Did you see anything from Zeb Noland Saturday that would make you feel like he should be this team starting quarterback moving forward. And how would you handle that? How do you think South Carolina should handle that? I know the easy answer, and I've said this too, is, hey, trust in Shane Beamer. They're going to play the guy that gives you the best chance to win. But when you look at this football team, who do you think they should roll with and real, will roll with, Luke Doty or Zeb Nolan? I think it should 100% be Luke Doty. It, it, it mostly, I mean, unless, unless he is hurt, in some way, and there is an outside chance that he could do something to that foot against East Carolina that's going to sideline him, I would not put him out there. Hmm. If that is not the case, it needs to be Luke Doty. And mostly because, you know, of what we were talking about earlier, you know, Zeb starts as a graduate assistant, doesn't go through spring practice, doesn't go through winter conditioning, doesn't go through summer conditioning. You're going to play a noon game in, you know, the hinterlands of North Carolina and it's going to be, what, 90, 93 degrees there. Like, that's a tough ask for somebody that hasn't been conditioned to play, like, in those – at least conditioned at all to get yourself to that point to where you're not going to run out of gas three series into the game. So, you know, to me, unless you are, like, putting Luke in a weird spot where this thing's not fully healed yet and we could damage it further, I would go with Luke. And I agree with you, Alex, and I made this point on uh, the Monday show. I, I just think at some point, Alex, you're going to have to be dynamic on offense to win a football game. And all due respect to Zeb Nolan, again, he did the job against EIU, but I don't necessarily view him in that light. I mean, this might sound like a curse word and fans might get upset, but Zeb Nolan reminded me a lot of Colin Hill, but a little bit more mobile, oh which, which, which who isn't? who isn't more mobile. I'm just saying the skill sets are similar, but Luke Doty yeah. does things 
that nobody else on the roster are capable of doing. Nobody else runs a 4-4 like he does. Nobody has that escapability and athleticism. And I just think when you're looking at not only ECU, but the prospects of the season, I think you got to take that into account. Again, an offense that's going to be continuing to evolve and look for playmakers. I just, I still have a hard time believing that the best version of this offense and the best version of this football team comes with someone other than Luke Doty under center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and two, you know, if you don't run Luke out there this week, are you are you going to start him like cold at Georgia? Well, and you and you, Alex, you not to cut you off, but you bring up a great point because that was my question too. And again, something fans won't think about: Luke Doty was named QB one after the spring game. He went through the entire summer QB one, and you know how important that is. I mean, he's out there, you know throwing with guys, and this entire football team's bought in on Luke Doty. He's our guy. He's our guy. He's our guy. He starts out fall camp, QB1. Then he gets injured. And so it's almost like to me, like if you don't name him QB1 for Saturday, it's like, is he really your guy? Is he not? Who is? I, you know, I, I guess we're going to find out how much did they really like Luke Doty before he got hurt. You know what I mean? So, And I don't think he should necessarily lose the job due to an injury. If he comes back healthy, that's kind of the way I look. I, at it. I, yeah, no, I, I don't think he's losing the job at all due to injury. I just think you know, foot injuries of that nature right. seem to be like tough. They, you can re-injure those pretty easily. So to me, it's really like, is he ready or is he not? Which is what's going to determine who takes that first snap Saturday. Mm-hmm. If he is ready, I think he'll take it. If he's not, it's going to be Zed. Yeah, but you and I both agree that Luke Doty is QB1 of this football team when he's 110% healthy. I think definitely that's – Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and again, I've told fans, I would just say again, like I – I'm going to trust in Beamer. I have no reason to doubt him. If they roll with Zeb, so be it. But I think there are just obvious differences in the guys and and Luke Doty's skill set. And, you know, I think Chris Doring, who I had on the show Monday for SEC Network, he put it really best. He said, you know, Zeb Noland – might be the safer option. Luke Doty, though, has the athleticism, escapability, the game-breaking ability. While there might be more risk, he offers that. So it's like, what would you rather roll with? And I, I just think it's, it's, I think it's more beneficial for the Gamecocks to roll with the guy. While there might be more risk, he's got that game-breaking ability that nobody else on this roster, uh, nobody else offers. So, I, Alex, again, moving into the game Saturday at ECU, we talked about this a little bit off-air, but you know, speaking of Vegas lines, the the line for this one comes out on Sunday afternoon via our friends over at Circa Sports. The Gamecocks open as a two-point favorite. Within minutes, that line shifts to East Carolina as a four-point favorite. As we sit here talking on Labor Day Monday afternoon, uh, that line has since settled into ECU as a two-point favorite. Now, many, many fans have had you know, instant reactions. Oh, that's bogus. That's BS. You know, I, a lot of my buddies, they predicted the Gamecocks would be a nine-point favorite, 10-point. And I told them, I said, if South Carolina is anything more than a touchdown favorite, I'd be totally shocked. Um, we saw ECU against Appalachian State. They got pushed around a little bit. They got bullied by Appalachian State, no question. South Carolina has a huge, impressive 46 to nothing win over EIU. What do you make of that line? I don't know if you're like a huge gambling guy, but I feel like you you follow it closely enough. But what I mean, what do you make of it? What would you tell fans? What's the reasoning behind that line in Vegas? I mean, the reasoning, I mean, so you know, you get three, like typically, I should say, you get three points for being a home team. Mm-hmm. So I mean, what I look at this as is it just turns into a pick'em one way or the other. So, you know, I mean, you compound that with the fact that we're not gonna tell 
anybody who the quarterback's going to be, which would have coincided when that line flipped. So you don't know if it's going to be Zeb. You don't know if it's going to be Luke Doty, which, it, you know, under these circumstances is a big difference in what you could be expecting from an offensive standpoint. So, you know, realistically to me, it kind of turns into a pick which I think is fine because I, you know, to what we've been talking about this entire time, I don't know how much we really learned from that Eastern Illinois game. And so now you've got somebody coming, you're going to have to go on the road. You're going to have to play against a team with a pulse. And <laughs> I don't know that I would make, us at this point, a you know, nine point favorite or a seven point favorite over anybody until you kind of see what that looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'll put it to you like this. If we had played Appalachian State last Saturday, you know, do we fare any better than East Carolina would have? And that's a tough thing for fans to hear. That's a very tough thing for fans to hear right well, now. Well, I mean, well, I, I mean, that's fine, but I mean, it's realistic. I right, mean, right. No, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying, I agree. I agree with you. I, I yeah. you know, I, I would tell you this, and I, I talked about this on social media yesterday, but I, I think there are many factors and the reason that, you know, and I'm surprised ECU is a favorite. I thought South going to be a small favorite. I never thought the ECU would be the favorite, but yeah, I think factoring in one big major question mark at the quarterback position, offensive line struggles against Eastern Illinois, which ECU is not great, but they're a lot better than EIU. I can guarantee you that. Um, Still having questions in the secondary defensively. ECU, I do think, has athletes that, believe it or not, I think they've got athletes, Alex, that can beat you or at least give you problems on the defensive side. Being on the road, most certainly, I mean, that's a huge thing. Um, I think you you mix that all together, and I, I think that's where your spread comes out. Again, I, am I surprised ECU is a favorite? Yes, but I'm not surprised at all, like you were saying, that the game is a pick 'em or you know is is a three point spread on either side. I, it's really what I expected it at, and you know I've tried to tell fans all preseason this is going to be a very very tough game for South Carolina. And, you know maybe the Gamecocks will surprise us all and win by 21 plus, but. Until proven otherwise, I think fans can pretty much lock in and expect this to be a one-score type of football game either way. I mean, yeah, I agree. And I would also circle back and say, you know, according to Circa, you know, we are a, you know, two-point favorite in this. I mean, where you get the Mm -hmm. minus four coming into play is just you had a bunch of betters. Absolutely hammer. Yeah, Mm -hmm. East Carolina, so they had to shore it up. So according to the sports book, we should be favored by two Mm -hmm. points. They had to swing that line because of money coming in. Right. Well, the beautiful thing, Alex, is this. The game's not going to be played in a sports book. It will be played on the field. Um, I'll ask you this. Outside of the obvious, which is getting a win, what do you most want to see on Saturday from this football team? Because we've all heard the the coach speak. And again, you've been in a locker room. You you played for the Gamecocks. So you know the old adage of, you know, a team makes its greatest improvement from week one to week two. But what does that really mean? Like for fans, like why is that the case? Why do you think a team – according to coaches make such a massive improvement from that first to that second week. It's game experience. It's being out there under the lights and not doing it in on a practice field or in front of a limited audience in a stadium at like an open scrimmage. It's like going through the procedure and getting those butterflies out that first time on the field. I mean, you're still going to have that feeling going out there at East Carolina, but like the rest of the pomp and circumstance that goes with it, is okay we've done this before we've done this before we've done this before and that's where you get that big jump it's the you know going out there and doing it against another team after only practicing it yourselves for 30 days so you get that confidence built up and that's where you can really make the leap you know a lot of times too 
you know, I would tell you when you play somebody like Eastern Illinois, you're not running out there with the full deck, right? So you're running out there with a pretty limited scope of this is what we're going to run. We don't have to do any more than this. And then you get to week two and everything opens up because now typically in week two, you're playing a, you know, again, somebody with a pulse. So, you know, you're going to have to do some work on the offensive end and get more creative on how you're going to pick up first downs, what kind of touchdown plays you want to run. Like, are you going to start gambling for it on fourth down? So you open up that playbook more and that's where you can kind of let some of those other facets shine through, but, you know, kind of talk, answer your question. You know, the two things that I would be looking for more than anything else you know, we know what the defensive line can do. We know what the running backs are capable of. We know what our tight ends are capable of. So what more than anything, what I'd like to see this week is, you know, secondary and wide receiver development. Like if we can get those guys open, get them catches, getting them running up field. And on the secondary side, if you can play man-to-man defense and shut some of these things down, again, it's just that confidence that's going to continue to build until you get to Georgia. Mm-hmm. Now, Alex, I don't know if it's fair to call the second game ever of the Shane Beamer era a must-win. I think that might be a little <laughs> harsh, right? But but it is a very important game. I mean, in, in regards to the prospects of this season, getting to a bowl game. I mean, again, Alex, I've been saying for months, and I'm sure people got tired of hearing me saying it, and I was like, you may scoff, but I think it's the most important game of the season because, you know, you have to take advantage of the front half of your schedule if you're going to get to six or more wins. You've got to take advantage of the front half of the schedule. you got to beat a team like an ECU. You can lose to Kentucky. You can lose to Mizzou. You can lose to Tennessee. You can lose some of these other swing games. But you cannot mess around, and you cannot lose to East Carolina. And I want to say this, too, because I'm not going to ask you to make a prediction or anything, and we'll, we'll lock ours in later in the week. But I think you and I both agree. South Carolina is a more talented football team than East Carolina. South Carolina yeah. should beat East Carolina. I don't care what Vegas says or – any, any prognosticators or analysts, South Carolina should beat East Carolina in football. Home, away, neutral site does not matter. But when you view this game, again, we're both on the outside, but when you view this game, how important is it really? I mean, how, how do you view it, the scope of this one? Like, how, how do you view this game in regards to the landscape of the 2021 season? Oh, um, I mean, I 100% agree with you. It's a must win. And I, I hate saying that, but it's I would I would I would phrase it even as this. Maybe it's not a must win, but it's a can't lose. That's I think that's the best way to put it. <laughs> really? I mean Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, and again, being on the outside looking in, like we don't know what goals like internally that team captains, that coaches have put forward in front of these players. To me, like this is this is big because, you know, again, you're playing a much better opponent so you got a chance to go out there and like sharpen a lot of the things that we saw last week and we we saw a lot of stuff last week that needs to be cleaned up that you can't do again against an east carolina like we can't have two touchdowns called back against east carolina and hope to walk out of there with a win so you know to me it's really just more like let's continue to get better on the offensive front and the secondary and the with the wide receivers and play well enough to win and i think they can do that they can 100 percent do that i think you know we're i mean it just turns into a, it turns into a must win for me because of who you've got next week mm. and so it's yep. that like from a mental standpoint you, you blow one or not even necessarily blow one because, you know, we're, we're going to have a much, much better idea of who and what this team is 
you know, around four o'clock on Saturday versus (laughs) like what we've got right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, getting those answers with a win is gigantic going into Georgia. You can ask like, so looking at it from that, those terms, like that's why it's a must win to me is because you want to be able to like, and again, I hate to keep going back to the, you know, the confidence and mentality standpoint, but that's really what this is going to turn into because you've had so much turmoil from Muschamp getting fired to transfer portal guys. You bring in, you know, Shane into the mix, you know, you get super hot on the recruiting trail middle of the summer, but like those guys aren't here yet. And so you've got to like build that rapport, that confidence, that strong mentality with the guys that are in the building and, especially like you know, you, against like East Carolina to continue to get better at those weaker positions before you start taking on the Georgia's, Kentucky's, Missouri's, Tennessee's of the world. Like having that in your back pocket, again, just knowing that you can compete with Eastern Illinois, then you can go on the road and compete with East Carolina. Now anything's possible. And so having that mentality walking into those situations is gigantic. I wasn't sure if you said it or somebody else say it, but I would agree with you, you know, and this sounds like stating the obvious, but, you know, going into Georgia 2-0 and is much, much better than going in there 1-1 because if you go in there 2-0, and these are 18- to 22-year-old kids. They don't know they're not supposed to win. So nope. <laughs> if you're 2-0, and you have confidence, you have momentum, it's, it's wild how having a lack of self-awareness can truly help you in a situation like that. So I do agree with you. Um, and like you mentioned, you'll ask any coach, ask any player. It's much, much more fun when you can learn lessons and have correctable mistakes in a victory versus in a loss. It, it makes it much, much easier to stomach for sure. Last thing else before I get you out of here, and I want, I want to pose a fun question to you. I'm going to pose both sides, though. One takeaway from Saturday night's 46 nothing win that makes you feel the Gamecocks will be better than projected, and one takeaway from Saturday night that makes you feel they might not be quite as good as we hoped or projected? Oh, uh, definitely. Uh, first half running game would be what I would point to immediately. Um, and the one I'm, like, positive about is, you know, I think, you know, the D-line played perhaps better than I thought they were going to, and the secondary actually looked pretty good for all intents and purposes and listen there's not a ton of division one guys running around out on that eastern illinois team especially at the wideout position so that may come back to haunt me saying that but at the same time you know i watching the game that's what i came away with there's like okay our secondary played pretty well and defensive line played like i thought they would play and, you know, the one that's got giving me some pause here is that first half running game performance. Well, Alex, if there's one certainty, like you mentioned, this time next week when we chat, we are going to know a lot more about this South Carolina football team than we currently do now. But again, Gamecocks taking on ECU this weekend. Noon kickoff on ESPN2 in Greenville, North Carolina at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium should be a fun one to say the least. Alex, again, it's always a pleasure to chat with you, my friend. Looking forward to doing it again next week. Me too, my man. Me too. He's Alex McGrath. I'm Chris Filt. Appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show.
headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.